0: This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested, now playing. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone.
1: Are we going to stand with God? Come what me. If the word of God says it, I believe it.
0: And that's the way it is. And now,
2: here is Janet Mefford.
0: Though there is not always grace where there is the fear of hell... Yet to be sure, there is no grace where there is no fear of God. The words of John Bunyan remain just as true today as when he uttered them in the 17th century. And Bunyan was but one of the many Puritan preachers of his day who are still continuing to influence Christians in our own day. To many people, though, citing the Puritans conjures up images of burning witches at the stake, for instance. But in fact, as my next guest says, to read the great Puritan preachers is to become acquainted with men of whom the world was not worthy and to encounter the deep truths of God's word and the glory of Jesus Christ in a way that the Christian literature of today rarely duplicates. So joining me today to talk about it is Dr. Don Kistler. He is a Bible teacher and author and also the founder of Northampton Press, which reprints some of the finest Christian literature ever published, focusing especially on 17th and 18th century English and American Puritans. And we are going to answer the question today, why read the Puritans today? Dr. Kistler, so good to have you with us. How are you?
1: All right. Thank you, Janet. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's wonderful to have you here. I know that you are really something of a pioneer in publishing Puritan literature. A lot of people learned about the Puritans from you and your work, including myself. How did you first become interested in reading the Puritans?
1: I think it happened when I was doing my genealogy. I was going through an identity crisis in my 20s. Who am I? Where did I come from? How did I get here? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, Although there's one comedian who was responding to somebody who says, I'm going to find myself, and he said, well, go back to the last place you know you were, and there you'll be. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. uh, As I was doing my genealogical research, I found through my mother, I come from Oliver Cromwell, and through my father, I come from the line of Jonathan Edwards. Wow. Wow. And so I began reading these people out of ancestral curiosity, and once I started, I was hooked. Well,
0: that's so interesting. So do you remember the first Puritan you first read? Was it Jonathan Edwards, or who was it? Was it was
1: Jonathan Edwards, yes. Well, actually, as a sophomore in English in high school, we read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God as literature. Sure. And, of course, our English teacher derided it and uh, made fun of it and... And you believe anybody actually ever believed this stuff? And I remember thinking, why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why not believe this stuff? Is it true? Not do you like it, but is it true? Right. And uh, But that was simply uh, high school English. Then I started to read Edwards in my 20s to find out, well, what did this ancestor of mine have to say? And I actually believed, Janet, that I was converted to, from reading Edward's sermons. Really? I had made a, quote, profession of faith when I was five at a Southern Baptist church during a revival service where we had the traveling evangelist, the gospel quartet, and the uh, two-hour invitation. But all I remember is the preacher saying... Uh, By the way, we're going to have punch and cookies afterwards, so make sure you come for that. Well, when he gave the invitation, I thought I was going forward to get in line for punch and cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably not what he meant, but yeah. No, but then they had me sign the card and pray the prayer, and I remember him saying, Now, don't ever let anybody make you doubt your salvation. You're saved.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, Well, that's the problem with the invitation system, but... As a young adult, when I began reading Edwards, it very early dawned on me, if this is Christianity, I'm not a Christian. Goodness. It was, it was that easy. and But there was a depth there, and then Edwards would recommend others. For example, he would say, read Mr. Shepherd on the parable of the ten virgins. And so I went to the local library, and there was the works of Thomas Shepard. And Thomas Shepard said, read John Flavel on keeping a heart. Yeah. So I would re- and they kept recommending each other and that's actually how I started to build my library. But it's the depth that I was drawn to. It wasn't easy believism, it wasn't read two verses and call me in the morning. It was deep stuff by men who were trained logicians. Yes. And I'm drawn to that. But I like logic. Uh, just to read the uh, Book of Romans with the Apostle Paul is, of course, in logic. Yes, it is. And uh, and uh, these men at Oxford and Cambridge studied logic and public speaking as much as they did Bible and theology. Mm. And it's evident in their writings, as you can attest, from having read so much of it.
0: Absolutely. Well, when you describe who the Puritans were, I I alluded there in the intro to these stereotypes that people have about the Puritans, which are often incorrect. But how do you explain to a newbie who these Puritans were and what they most need to know about these men who left behind such rich Christian literature for us?
1: Well, the term Puritan was actually a term of derision. Um, one thing about the Puritans, they took God seriously. And as they read the Bible, if it says, don't commit adultery, they said, well, then I guess I'm not supposed to commit adultery. Uh, You know, that modern mantra that is so bad, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, the middle part of that is completely irrelevant (laughs) to any discussion at all. God said it, that settles it. And so they believed that God wanted his people to live a pure life, not a perfect life, but a pure life. Be ye holy. Well, how holy? As I am holy. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And so because they stressed purity of life, they got the name Puritan. Hmm. Uh, They took it as a badge of honor, even though the people who gave it to them did not mean it that way. But If there are things that we should know about the Puritans, is that, one, they were so knowledgeable in their Bible. I'm constantly amazed at the uh, knowledge of the Bible these men had. Secondly, they were God- and Christ-centered, not man-centered. And three, like I said, they took God seriously. If God said to do it, then that's all i need to know. Right. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. What does God say?
0: Right. Well, and it's interesting because when you list those three things, what immediately pops into my mind is the fact that every Christian ought to be that way, and the fact that we go back so many years to find these preachers who were so rich, so Bible-centered, so Christ-centered, and so deep in their knowledge of the Word of God. What do you see as the reason that these men stood out in Christian history from other Christians who have lived in other movements in Christian history?
1: Well, Dr. John Gerstner, who was R.C. Sproul's mentor and mine, among many others, once said about the Puritans that it was the greatest movement in the history of the Church after the Apostles themselves. That's a real wow statement. It is. And it's because of the three things I mentioned, plus they were such serious Bible students. I mean, so much of what we have today in... Uh, Our theology and understanding of the Bible comes from these men, Um, expository preaching. I'll just give you two examples. Now, these are extreme. This wasn't typical, but uh, Joseph Carroll, C-A-R-Y-L, preached 25 years of consecutive sermons on the book of Job. Mm. And if you've ever seen a portrait of him, he looks like it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a long time
0: for one book.
1: Well... That was a minor accomplishment. William Googe, G-O-U-G-E, preached 33 years of consecutive sermons on the book of Hebrews.
2: Oh, no, no, no.
1: Now, that's not a model for us. Like, if you don't spend 19 years in Ezra, you haven't done a good job. <laughs> but well, I was a pastor for four years of a local church in Pennsylvania. I preached 78 sermons on the book of uh, Ephesians. And I felt like i cheated the people.
2: <laughs>
1: I, I have not scratched the surface. Right. Uh, one of my best friends is John MacArthur, who I know you know. The first book he preached through was the Gospel of John, and that was 50 years ago.
2: Mm.
1: Well, a couple of years ago, he had finished preaching through the entire New Testament. And so he started over on the book of John. And we were talking on the phone. I said, John, this is great stuff, but it's not the same stuff you did 50 years ago. He says, well, I actually know something this time around. Yeah. So, <laughs> that, after that's, 50 years. Yeah, that says a lot. know something.
0: There you go. Well, we're going to take a very short break. We'll come back with Dr. Don Kistler. Why read the Puritans today? We'll come back on Janet Mufford today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent his son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's word to Bible-less believers around the world for only five $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800 YESWORD. That's 800 Yes Word, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the Scripture. There are those who have been looking for the Scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800 YESWORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis who are choosing between life and death for their preborn babies. Meet Sophie. At 22 weeks pregnant, Sophie was pressured by her mother and boyfriend to terminate her pregnancy. After meeting with a preborn counselor, she found the love and support she needed. After I had that poor soldier sound and I saw her and I was looking at the pictures over and over and over again, that's when I decided I was going to stand up to my mother and tell her, no, I can't do an abortion. Sophie chose life and now she's awaiting the birth of her baby girl. Every day, Preborn is on the front lines fighting Planned Parenthood to help young moms just like Sophie to choose life. For a gift of $140 today, you can help to rescue five babies' lives. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMufford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today.
1: And now, here's Janet.
0: We are back on Janet Mefford Today. So glad you're with us. We're talking about the all-important question, why read the Puritans today? And of course, Northampton Press does a fabulous job really giving us that great Christian literature from all those centuries ago. You can visit them at NorthamptonPress.org. That's Northampton with one H, NorthamptonPress.org. And you can check out their catalog of Puritan writings. And the founder of Northampton Press, of course, is my guest, Dr. Don Kissler, And we're talking about the reasons we need to read the Puritans. Now, you have a really good booklet that I've had for a number of years, Dr. Kissler, on this subject of why read the Puritans. And I want to really dive into this one claim that you've made about the Puritans, which I think is absolutely on the money, they will elevate your concept of God to a degree you probably never thought possible. How is it that the Puritans are able to do that? There are a lot of us who say, well, I read a lot of Christian books. I go down to my local Christian bookstore. I go on Christian websites. I order books. And, you know, I think my my view of God is pretty high. You had that experience of reading the Puritans and you've read other stuff as well. Can you explain to people why the Puritans really elevate God above the level that we're used to with modern-day Christian literature?
1: Well, one for them, Bible study was a serious intellectual as well as emotional exercise for—and I'm only half-tongue-in-cheek when I say this, Janet—for many, many professing Christians reading Our Daily Bread— is the length of their Bible study.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Um, there was a, a cartoon in Christianity Today many years ago, and it, cartoons are often the best thing about some of these magazines, <laughs> but it, it was a group of professing Christians sitting in a semicircle, and a, uh, leader, group leader read a verse, and then he said, What do you think that verse means? What in the world difference does it make what I think the verse means? What does it say? And what does God think it means? Well, anyway, uh, the first person, uh, the verse in question was Paul said, I'm in chains for the sake of the gospel. Well, Fred, what do you think that means? Well, I think he's talking about addictions, that he was in chains. Oh, interesting. Uh, Betty, what do you think it means? Well, it reminds me of Aretha Franklin chain, 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 chain of fools. Oh my goodness. Well, they all go around and give their opinion, and that's for many people what a Bible study is, reverse, and let's all say what we think it means. Hmm. Well, then the last person said, Pastor, what do you think it means? And he said, well, I think it means exactly what it says. Paul was in prison, he was in chains because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Hmm. And one of the people in the group leans over to another one and says, I told you he was irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> says it all, doesn't well, it? One of the practices the Puritans had was the practice of meditation, which is a lost art in our thing because it requires thinking. Two, it requires you to turn the TV off. <laughs> no sound. Read the Bible and think about it. Uh, the I grew up on a dairy farm, Janet, and we had dairy cows, and one of the things they did was chew hay and chew cud. and it's a very graphic picture of what the Bible means by meditation. Uh, the cows would take a bite of hay, and they'd chew it until it got really gooey and sloppy, and then they'd swallow it for a while, and then they'd regurgitate it, and they'd chew on it some more, and then they'd swallow it for a while, and then they'd bring it back up and chew on it some more. And everybody thinks that's gross, but that's how you get milk. Right. That's true. Well, that's the picture of meditation. You keep going over it and over it and over it until there's nothing left that you can't get out of it. Hmm.
0: That's a great image. I mean, how
1: else could you get 33 years out of Hebrews?
0: <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. And and yet, are there those who will say to you, that's ridiculous, Dr. Kissler." 33 years on one book of the Bible, that's overkill. I mean, how, how did they think differently than we do in our era about the time that they needed to spend in the Word of God?
1: Well, for example, Jonathan Edwards spent 13 hours a day studying the Bible. Wow. And on top of his office study, he would go out for a horseback ride of a couple hours a day, taking paper and pen and stick pins, and he would think about what he'd studied. And if he had a thought, he'd write it down and he'd pin it to himself. He'd come back two, three hours later, you couldn't see any of his clothes. He had papers stuck to him all over the place.
2: Hmm.
1: On top of that, he spent an hour a day with each of his kids. So uh, there was no wasted time. That was pretty much the 11th commandment in the Edwards household, thou shalt not waste time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was no TV, there was no radio, there was no internet, and so that's what you did with your time if you were a pastor. You studied God's Word. Yes. Um, And I think it's that kind of commitment and dedication. Today people won't put up with more than a 20-minute homily. Yeah. And yet in the Puritan day... Uh, a one-hour sermon was considered a devotional. <laughs> uh, oftentimes they went two hours long. Now, today, people aren't used to that. They they have to be trained. I'm not saying there's anything magical about two hours. Um, I've sat under guys, and after 25 minutes, I said, he's repeating himself. <laughs> he could have said this in 15 minutes. Um, but Like I said, it was that obsession with knowing Christ. Um, I published a book in the last year called None But Christ, and it's about 400 pages on Paul's statement, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified.
2: That's great.
1: Um, They just were obsessed with knowing God and Christ, and uh, a 20-minute devotional was just not going to cut it.
0: Right, right. Well, and this is something else you mentioned that the Puritans had really a a love affair and not in the sexual sense, obviously, but uh, with Christ, they wrote much about the beauty of Christ. And there's a lot of Puritan literature that touches on that. That's not really what we see in our own day. If they talk in these vapid worship songs about Jesus, it's kind of derisively called, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend music. That's not what we're talking about here. This was a very deep concept that Christ is Worthy of Our Love Because He's So Beautiful. What would be some titles that you've read on that subject and and the sorts of things that the Puritans wrote about the beauty of Christ?
1: Well, I think uh, None But Christ by John Wall is one of the three best books I've ever published. And that encompasses over 500 titles.
2: That's great.
1: Uh, A book I published under a different publisher uh, by Jonathan Edwards, Altogether Lovely. Oh, yes. Now, here's an interesting thing about Edwards. If you say Jonathan Edwards, people think fire and brimstone. Yes. Well, when he died, he left almost 1,100 sermon manuscripts behind. I think only 39 of them were about hell. Hmm. The overwhelming majority of them was about the beauty and excellency of Jesus Christ. That's something people don't know. Uh, who, what? Yes,
2: Edwards? Right.
1: Yeah, that's Jonathan Edwards. Uh, uh, he, he was passionate about Christ. Uh, Samuel Rutherford was another one. In his letters, I think published by The Banner of Truth, he writes about this a lot. Uh, uh, Thomas Goodwin once said, If I were to go to heaven and Christ wasn't there, I'd leave immediately because heaven without Christ would be hell. Amen. You know, we want to go to Heaven to see Grandma Hmm. and walk the streets of gold, but being in Heaven means I get to see Christ face-to-face. I get to gaze into His beauty. When Dr. Gerstner died, probably 20 more years or so ago, uh, there were a bunch of us who came together for his memorial service, and among them was R.C. Sproul. And Sproul gave a little... uh, what's the word, a eulogy, and uh, he said, I can't be dogmatic about this, but he says, I wouldn't be a bit surprised that when Gerstner opened his eyes again, there was Calvin and Luther and Edwards and Aquinas waiting to meet him, Mm -hmm. and he said, for the first time in his life, Gerstner had a discussion with peers. (laughs) And he says, and then after a few minutes, they stopped him and he says, you didn't come here to see us. Mm -hmm. Let us take you to the one that you have served so faithfully all these years. That's what heaven is. I get to see Jesus.
2: That's right. That's I mean, right. there are two
1: things about heaven that excite me. One is that I finally get to see him. And two, no more sin.
0: That'll be great.
1: <laughs> we'll be free from sin. No more repenting. No more saying I'm sorry. No more guilt. No more shame. Look, it's Jesus. <laughs> In fact, when I was younger and I was uh, a little bit more of a smart aleck than I am now, uh, I had a lady say to me that she couldn't wait to go to heaven because she gets to see Grandma again. And I said, all due respect, but when you get to heaven and you find Grandma, she's not going to be interested in catching up. Mm-hmm. She's going to be say, listen, we got eternity to do this. I'm looking at Jesus.
2: That's right.
0: That's so true. That's so true.
1: And that's why we, we place such a low esteem on Christ. I mean, we're glad He saved us and we're anxious to get to heaven, but heaven without Christ wouldn't be heaven.
0: No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. That's, that is our blessed hope is to be able to see Christ face to face and see the one who saved us, see the one who died for us and rose again on our behalf. And that that's what you said, that the Puritans really got this in a way that many modern, unfortunately modern Christian writers either don't get or don't emphasize.
1: Well, uh, for a lot of them, the Bible is a how-to book. Hmm. It's how to love your mother from the life of Moses, how to have a good day from the life of David. It's a you know, all about you and improving the quality of your life, but the Bible's about God and Christ.
0: Yes, it is.
1: Um, You know, it's not about, it's not a psychological handbook. Now, there are plenty of things in there that can help us, but that's not its primary thing. Those are byproducts. Uh, Peter says in the New Testament, everything you want out of life, biological life and spiritual life, is a result of the true knowledge of God
0: That's beautiful We're going to take another quick break We'll be back with Dr. Don Kissler Answering the question Why read the Puritans today? Stay with us You're listening to Janet Meffer today This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner, American Underdog, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, now playing. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's Janet. We're back on Janet Muffer today. Great to have you with us. And if you are interested in reading the Puritans, you really need to check out Dr. Don Kistler's website. It's northhamptonpress.org. That's North. NorthamptonPress.org, 1H. And it's just a wonderful site. You can find all kinds of Puritan literature there. And right now, I want to remind you, if you purchase any Northampton Press book and pay by check, they'll send you a free copy of the book Law and Liberty, A Biblical Look at Legalism. So check them out at NorthamptonPress.org. Dr. Kissler and I are talking about this very important question, why read the Puritans today? And one of the other reasons that you give Dr. Kissler, for people to read the Puritans is because the Puritans can teach us about the heinous nature of sin. Now, in a way, I say this a little bit, you know, uh, tongue in cheek, but, but people don't want to hear about sin, Dr. Kessler. That's not cool. You know, we're supposed to have tips for daily living. We're supposed to have, you know, a psychological, you know, kind of help from the Bible and pick here and choose here. What, what about sin and, and why is it important for the Puritans to teach us about sin once again? It seems like such a basic question, but what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I remember watching Larry King one time interview Joe Osteen, and uh, Larry King mentioned that criticism of Osteen by many that he never talks about sin. And Osteen responded this way, well, they can get that anywhere. Yeah. And I, I almost <laughs> broke my neck with whiplash. You can't. Where? Yeah, where? 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 <laughs> what, what earth are you living on? You can't get it anywhere. No. You know, the Bible only says two things that we need to be saved from. Now, if Christ is the Savior, he's got to be saving you from something. Well, the only two things the Bible ever mentions we need to be saved from are sin and the wrath to come. Mm -hmm. Well, if you deal with the first one, you will never have to deal with the second one. But one of the reasons that sin is so bad is because it's against God, who is so holy. And the greater your God is... The worse sin becomes if you sin against him. Mm -hmm. Um, Edwards said, uh, our obligation to love, honor, and obey any being is in direct proportion to that being's honor, loveliness, and authority. Since God has infinite honor, infinite beauty, and infinite authority, then our obligation to love, honor, and obey him is infinite. And this is what I mean about the logic of that. How do you argue with that? Hmm. Uh, the greater a being is, the greater is our obligation to respect him. I mean, if you sin against me, it's nothing. If you sin against the mayor, it's worse. If you sin against the governor, it's worse. Uh, the president or the king or whatever, it's worse. The greater the person is that you offend, the greater is the crime. Right. But we're right. talking about God here. Right. Uh, and there's so many people have this attitude, I'm not that bad, and God's not that mad. <laughs> and both of those are wrong. Dr. Gerster told the story about a lady who came up to him after he preached on sin one time, and she was very upset. And she put her fingers almost completely together. She said, you made me feel so small. And he pushed her fingers together and said, ma'am, that's much too big.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> that gets the point across. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Is uh, Stephen Charnock, uh, one of the greatest of the Puritans, who was really only ever an assistant pastor to the great John Owen, called sin cosmic treason hmm. because it's against an infinitely holy God.
2: Right.
1: Um, J.B. Phillips wrote a book back in the 60s, Your God is Too Small. Yes. And that's why sin is so lightly regarded, because our God is too small.
0: That's it. Well, you know, I remember reading The Doctrine of Repentance by Thomas Watson for the first time. And I was laid out. I mean, I almost couldn't function reading that book because it was so penetrating to my heart and soul about the depth of my sin and the depth of my guilt. And I was overwhelmed by the fact that Christ forgave me and cleansed me and had given me his righteousness and that I was truly forgiven and I would truly go to heaven, even though I had no business being there other than his love for me. And that, I mean, that really is typical, isn't it, of other books within the Puritan spectrum on the issue of sin that you, I mean, they deal with you. You feel conviction when you read these books.
1: Well, if God has enlightened you, you do. If your heart is hardened, you won't. You'll uh, write it off. Uh, If if I can do another Gershner story, he was an Edwards expert, and he was up at Yale University uh, working with the original manuscripts of Edwards, and uh, across the table from him was a man named Perry Miller, who actually started the Works of Jonathan Edwards Project at Yale in 1953. Well, they were sitting there discussing Edwards' most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the imagery of it, you know, God is holding you over the flame like a spider with a web, or, uh, and the only thing that keeps God from dropping you into eternal fire is the mere good pleasure of a God who is infinitely angry. Mm. Or the uh, archer and the bow, the arrow of God's wrath is pointed at the sinner's heart, the arrow is pulled back, the string is quivering, And the only thing that keeps God from letting that arrow fly and being made drunk with the sinner's blood is the mere good pleasure of an angry God. Mm. So that's a quote, by the way. I can't believe I remembered all that.
0: That was great.
1: Anyway, Gerstner said that Perry Miller, as they were discussing, you know, this imagery, Gerstner says, Perry, if Edwards is right, that arrow's pointed at your heart. I don't know how you sleep at night. And Perry Miller responded this way, Sometimes I don't. I just hope to God he's wrong. Is that all you've got to go to meet your maker with? I hope to God he's wrong? (sighs) What if he's right? Yeah, I know. I know. But the other side of that, Janet, Uh, I published a book many years ago by my favorite English Puritan, Christopher Lowe, on the topic of grace. And he says this, Grace is the understanding that God is a better Savior than you are a sinner. (laughs) Now, that's something I need to remind myself of every day, is that he said, if you take all the sins you ever committed and add them up, it will be a finite number. But God's mercy is infinite. Oh, that's great. Or as Spurgeon said, "Uh, think of yourself as a little minnow swimming in the great Atlantic Ocean. Do your best to drink the ocean dry and it will never happen. It says, think of God's mercy as the ocean, and you are but a minnow. You can never exhaust it. Mm-hmm. And so as bad as our sin is, as the hymn says, great, grace that is greater than all our sin, and yet the line people seem to forget is, grace that will pardon, yes, and cleanse within. Yes. If it's true grace... Tomorrow you'll be one day more like Christ than you were today. I think that's my favorite verse is where it says, when we see him, we will be like him.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I can't wait, because finally, I'll be what I've always wanted to be, and that's to be like Christ. But it won't happen until I see him.
2: That's great.
0: All right. Oh, I love that. And, you know, what you're saying really points out something important people need to understand about the Puritans. As much as they really preach the hard truth about sin, the gospel that they present then becomes ever more glorious, doesn't it? I mean, when you really understand how much trouble you're in, the gospel becomes beyond glorious, and and Christ becomes beyond lovely because you recognize I was in more trouble than I thought I was, but God is greater than I understood. I mean, this is why once you read the Puritans, you want to keep reading them because they they go to depths of the Bible that you just can't get in so many books today.
1: And you're going to find yourself in a spiritual sense very lonely because there aren't going to be many people understand what you're talking about. That's true. I mean, when... You know, I just throw this title out, not meaning to demean anyone or any title. Hand me another brick. When that's the deepest thing you've ever read, this stuff's going to be another world altogether. Yes. But yes. you are you and I are alike. You're hooked.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: You can't go back.
0: No. No, you want more. I mean, it's like sitting down and eating the best steak dinner of your life. And, and somebody says, you want to eat some Skittles? Well, not really. No, <laughs> not really. Thank you very much. Well, we're going to take another quick break. We'll be back with Dr. Don Kissler. Why? Read the Puritans today. We'll tell you more when we come back on Janet Meffer Today. Hi, everyone. This is Janet, hoping you had a wonderful Christmas celebrating the birth of our great Savior, Jesus. Ecclesiastes chapter three says that there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be silent and a time to speak. And so as we come to the end of 2021, I just wanted to let you know that my time to speak on Janet Meffer today is ending as well. I've been a nationally syndicated Christian radio host for the past 12 years, including more than six great years hosting this show. Now, I believe the time is right for me to move on to the next thing the Lord has for me to do. The greatest blessing I've ever received in my life is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've been really privileged to help keep you informed on the news and issues of the day and to try to offer you biblical encouragement from a Christ-centered perspective. I want to thank the owners and managers of all the wonderful Christian radio stations who have aired us all these years. I want to thank all our great sponsors as well and the ministries who have made this program possible. And most of all, well, I want to thank you. You've tuned into this show. You financially supported the ministries you've heard about here. And I know you've prayed for me and sent us so many encouraging emails. Thank you. We truly are a family and I will really miss all of you, but you can still find me at Janet com. So I just want to encourage you from 2 Timothy 4, no matter what the future holds, I would implore you to keep fighting the good fight, finish the course, keep the faith. Thank you again for listening to Janet Mefford today and God bless.
1: From Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine comes American Underdog. Undrafted out of college, quarterback Kurt Warner found himself stocking grocery shelves while trying to hold on to his dream to play in the NFL. I have been working for this my entire life. God is going to do something great with you. Based on the true story, American Underdog, rated PG. pedal guidance suggested in theaters everywhere
0: now. More information is available at AmericanUnderdogInspires.com. We are back on Janet Mufford Today, I just want to reiterate, if you want to check out NorthamptonPress.org, you really should, if you are really enticed and interested in what we've been talking about this hour with Dr. Don Kistler, the Puritans, why we should read them, the depth of knowledge that they had about the Word of God, the application that they had, really expert application of the Word of God to the life of the Christian, and dealing very deeply on the subject of sin, but also talking about the glory of Jesus Christ. You need to check out the catalog, Northampton Press. Is the website. And if you purchase any Northampton Press book and mention my name, Janet Mefford, they will send you a free copy of the book called Law and Liberty A Biblical Look at Legalism. So a wonderful opportunity. Dr. Kissler, I am always interested in your experience with the Puritans since you've been such a wonderful publisher of Puritan literature for such a long time. Is there one particular title? that you would recommend above all others, or is that just like picking your favorite child? Is it it one book or many books? What would you recommend as some of the best titles?
1: Well, let me throw out three or four titles. Some of them were published by Northampton Press. Some of them by my first imprint, which was Sully Deogoria. I would say the book by Jeremiah Burroughs, Gospel Worship. Hmm. Uh, The main theme of that book is that worship is for God, not for us. Well, boy, there's a different idea. Yes. Uh, then a book by Thomas Vincent. And I think these books are still in print, uh, but you can get them on Amazon or uh, eBay or used or something like that. By Thomas Vincent, The True Christian's Love to the Unseen Christ. Oh,
0: that's a great one. Yep.
1: Um, I call it A Warm Bath for the Soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Edwards title, Altogether Lovely, His Sermons on the Beauty and Excellency of Jesus Christ. And then the John Wall title, None But Christ. Yep.
0: Yep, that's a great one. What about I Bunyan? Probably, yeah, I was going to say, uh, what about I Bunyan? I published
1: uh, a book by Bunyan called Sighs from Hell, S-I-G-H-S. I also published The Fear of God by Bunyan with Sully Dale Gloria, uh, I find personally, I find Bunyan hard to read and John Owen hard to read. Now, that's the most intellectual and the least intellectual of all the Puritans. Wow. Uh, it's just a preferential thing. It's not that they're hard to read. I just, I read Edwards like it's the newspaper or the comic strips, but some of these other ones are difficult. Yeah. But the book Size from Hell uh, is really a terrifying book. It's based on a parable in Luke's... Well, actually, it's according to Bunyan, it's not a parable. Uh, Jesus never called it a parable. It said he told this story to his disciples. Every other parable, he said he told this parable. So uh, John Bunyan and many of the other Puritans believed it was an actual event that Jesus related of uh, Father Abraham in heaven speaking with divies, uh on earth and... Things like that, but uh, there's a phrase in there. Why, why is it men are afraid to die in their sins, but they're not afraid to live in them? That's an interesting question to ask.
0: Great question. A great question. Yeah, and they had really this ability to penetrate people's souls in a very practical way. That's another thing that you've pointed out, that the Puritans help us with practical living. And that's a byproduct. Again, we're not going after 10 tips for daily living in any of these books, but that's really the upshot.
1: It really is, because uh, what is more practical than God? God is relevant. We are irrelevant. Yeah. When people say to a sermon, well, that sermon wasn't relevant, what was it about? What was about God? Well, who wants to know about that? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's amazing the the things that people come up with. You mentioned how people slam them for Salem witch trials and things like that, which is such a uh, unfair thing. But um, it's practical living at best. It's applying the Bible to life. Yes. One of the greatest books I ever published was uh, Richard Baxter's book, A Christian Directory, which was 1,100 pages, double-column, tiny print, uh, 7 by 10, on applying the Bible to every area of life. Um, J.I. Packer called it the greatest manual on biblical counseling ever written.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, But that's what they did. They applied the Bible to life. Yes. Here's two examples. In a sermon uh, by Jeremiah Burroughs on Christ, uh, Colossians 3.11, Christ is all in all. He says, if Christ is all in all, then everything else is nothing at all. And then commenting on the verse in Song of Solomon that he is altogether lovely, he says, well, if Christ is altogether lovely, then everything else is altogether loathsome. Mm-hmm. That's really good stuff. It's
0: great stuff. It's that's great worth stuff.
1: your time, money, and whatever it takes.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Well, and you published, I know, when we were talking about Jonathan Edwards, I know we did a, an interview on your book, Grace and Truth, and that's a fantastic book. I've just enjoyed that book so much, some of the rare sermons of Jonathan Edwards. And, I mean, this is what's so great. It's not as if, you know, you can find these anywhere you look. This is This is a real labor of love on your part, putting together these books, isn't it?
1: It is, and uh, they're readable. I mean, when I edit them, I take out things like "beant" and "hant" and uh, "must needs," so that it reads not like a Reader's Digest, but like a deep theological book. Today, we leave it in the King James in the Scripture because that's what Edward used. Yes, and plus there are a number of people that won't buy a book if it's not the King James text of the Bible, and that's fine. Uh, There aren't anybody who won't read it if it's not the NASB, but there are people who won't read it if it's not the King James. So we leave that alone, but we take the these and thous out of the narrative of the book, because that's not how we talk today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But some of these sermons by Edwards transcribe there's no periods, there's no punctuation, there's no capitalization. Uh, he has his own handwriting, a circle with a line through his world, Exist Christ. Well, it's hard enough to get people to read anymore without asking them to fight that.
2: So mm.
1: uh, I've made these readable.
2: Good point. Um, yes.
1: You talk about them being legalistic. I remember one time somebody said to me, how could you publish these hateful, bigoted, unloving people that we call Puritans? And I asked the person... Which one of their books did you read that gave you that impression? <laughs> well, I've, I've never read anything by them. So that's really an ignorant statement, isn't it? Yes. Well, everybody knows it. I don't know it, so everybody minus one. But I know other people who don't know it. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of idiocy people who've never read a thing feel like they can criticize these men. They ought to read them and let them criticize us.
0: Oh, amen. They're the same ones who probably turn around and talk about all the supposed Bible contradictions, and then you'll ask them, (laughs) tell me one. I don't know, but there's tons of them. Well, name one. Well, I can't. (laughs) You know, (laughs) same sort of deal.
1: Uh, It is. uh, You know, people, interesting the Bible says people are willfully ignorant. Hmm. They don't know because they don't want to
0: know. They don't want to know. Well, and when you read the Puritans and you interact with the Puritans, it will whet your appetite for more. And I'm wondering, when people visit NorthamptonPress.org, Dr. Kissler, is there a particular title, A a New Puritan Reader Would Be Best Served by Reading First?
1: Um, You mean an entry-level book?
0: Sure, yeah. One that you would say, "This, this would be a good one to start with, if you're just beginning your journey in reading Puritan literature.
1: He's not really a Puritan, but he is Puritan in his theology. I would say Octavius Winslow, The Precious Things of God.
0: Oh, good. Good, good one.
1: Um, but after that, I would say the book you mentioned, Grace and Truth by Edwards, or None But Christ by John Wall. Excellent. Excellent. I'll tell you, there's an easy one, Heaven Taken by Storm by Thomas Watson. Oh, great. It, it's only a little over 100 pages. And uh, Watson is one of the most readable of the Puritans. Uh, one man called him the Chuck Swindoll of the 17th century. <laughs> uh, uh, all of it. Chuck Swindoll were the Thomas Watson of the 21st century. But uh, that that is a fairly easy one to read.
0: That's good. That's good. Well, and I know it's your, your deep desire that Christians would just become more mature in Christ. And that's something that the Puritans and reading the Puritans really help you do is become more like Jesus Christ as you become more knowledgeable about Jesus Christ and worship him more deeply. I think that's one of the greatest outgrowths of reading Puritan literature, at least in my life, is it just makes me worship the Lord on a much deeper level
1: and that's what we're here for Uh, we're here to worship and that's why I think that book gospel worship that I published so many years ago is so helpful that uh, worship is for God amen for me it doesn't matter if I like the sermon or the music was easy to dance to Am I closer to God than I was an hour ago?
0: That's what it's all about. Well, you can check out their catalog online at NorthamptonPress.org. And again, NorthamptonPress.org has one H. And if you purchase any title and mention my name, Janet Mefford, they will send you a free book called Law and Liberty, A Biblical Look at Legalism. We've got to go, but Dr. Kissler always a joy to talk to you. God bless you, and thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's always a pleasure, Janet. Blessings on you.
0: This hour of Janet Meffer today has been brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Now playing.